Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. Jeff Mitchell and Jeremy Clark here to break down the Horn Frogs with their big 59 to 17 win over Tarleton State. It's not every day that you're able to uh, see this many people play. It's not every day that you see the Frog offense be able to do this. It's been a while since the Frogs have reached this point. I know it's Tarleton. I know it's an FCS game, but hey, these are the games that you're supposed to put away, and I'm not sure we've been able to do that the last few years. We're going to get into that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Jeremy, we had a home field. Uh, we had a home game in the first home game of the Sunny Dykes era. How did it feel watching the Frogs run on, rush onto the field with Sunny Dykes leading them there? I was kind of surprised the crowd wasn't a little bit bigger. Um, Tarleton did a good job of, uh, you know help filling out the stands they had a pretty good crowd there um i think there was about close to forty four thousand in attendance i mean students showed up they did great um it was it was kind of weird you know the you don't have the whole uh gary patterson vibe around there anymore there's you know they did the uh whole first quarter um give them hell tcu video that they usually do at home games it was obviously sunny docks that did the first one um, but yeah, I, me personally, I was hoping there's going to be a little bit more energy from the crowd, but it, but it is Tarleton. If I'm sure if this was a OU or, you know, another big name that's going to be at the stadium this year, it would have been a little bit, uh, rowdier and, and more attended, but I, I think it was pretty, pretty decent, um, for the first home game, but I just thought it was going to be a little bit higher attendance wise. Well, you know, I'm, I'm one of the millions of people that watch the game on ESPN3, and, you know, it looked like there's a pretty good turnout, and my, my hunch is the tailgating culture was much stronger than there was, um, um, than what was going on inside of the stadium, so I know some people were bouncing in and out. Uh, I know a lot of people that said, you know, I'm going to tailgate and then show up when I feel like it, but it was good to get a win. It was good to take the field. It was good to uh, begin this new era of the Sunny Dykes regime with, with his first home game and his first home win. You know, you always play an FCS team, or, or at least a, a, a podunk team, a gimme. And you know, it's Tarleton, but th- there were some talented people on that team. What did you? What was just your first take as, as somebody that's been watching football at a high level for years? What did you think of tar- the Tarleton team making the uh, that showed up? Because they're making a jump. They're in the whack. They're FCS. And if I understand right, they they may be transitioning uh, even further up. Is at least those are yeah, their plans. They're going forward. Division One. Um, That's, yeah, yeah, they're, they're transitioning Division One right now. I think maybe they might even be considered Division One right now. It's it's so tough. Yeah, they're it's so tough. They're FCS with plans to become FCS. Yeah. So yeah, they're they're expanding their stadium down there to get um, bigger stadium, get more people in the stands. I think they'll be able to fill it up pretty good. I mean, you know, with their schedule and playing teams closer in proximity, but I. I feel like they're a pretty decent team, and we were talking about it in the press box. I think Tarleton could have gave Colorado a run for their money. I mean, honestly. I so. <laughs> um, yeah, Colorado got yeah, curb stomped I mean, by Air Force. It's kind of tough to evaluate where TCU is after you see Air Force just dominate Colorado, and then you're you're playing a team like Tarleton. That I mean, they, they do have some talented kids. There was, there was a couple kids on there um, – that TCU actually recruited is a Corey Brooks out of Dallas Wilson. He was a big defensive end um, yes. a, a few years ago. And Princely, uh, I don't even want to try to say his name, the kid out of Maynor that ended up going to Florida. And uh, TCU recruited his little brother. And TCU actually uh, had recruited Princely as well. Uh, was he that all lean defensive uh, He was a little bit thicker. Um, but I, you, Uman, I can't even I, – I, People are going to have to just Google his name. I can't say his last name, but he's the kid that went to Florida, I believe, and then he, now he's back down at Tarleton. But Bo Allen, I think Bo Allen was pretty good. I mean, he did a he, he threw some really good balls. I mean, he he's not going to be your dynamic quarterback that's going to set the world on fire. But you know, for a for a guy at that level, he's I think he's going to put put up some decent numbers, especially with those receivers. Darius Cooper, I mean, he, he had two long catches against Trey. Um, that wasn't that wasn't against a third or fourth string defensive back. He had a couple of those plays against Trey. And uh, Jaden Smith had a good play against, I want to say, Noah Daniels. Um, both of them had, you know, Jaden and Darius Cooper both had good plays. And I was saying something in the press box about Jaden Smith. I mean, he's a tall, lean, 6'6 kid. Uh, that was at Montana State. He's originally from Fort Worth, played at Kennedale, 
And I was saying, man, if he didn't have, if he hadn't already transferred, this kid could go somewhere and play at a, probably at a P5 program, you know, lower, lower level P5 or high level G5 program. I think Tarleton has, has really got one of the better receivers at that level, but it, defensive line, offensive line, they got some dudes and I think that they can obviously compete, but depth wise, you just knew it was going to be a long night for them. But I was kind of surprised the way TCU, I mean, I wasn't too surprised, but I was surprised that they got out the way they did and off to as fast a start. I thought Tarleton would start the game, make them start slow. You know, maybe TCU doesn't score until their second drive. And we're looking at maybe a 10 nothing game after the first quarter. But TCU just came out on fire and just never let off the gas. Well, this was kind of flipping the script from what we saw in the uh, Colorado game. Obviously, the Colorado game, Frogs are up 7-6 to six at halftime. Uh, do not have an offensive touchdown. The only points we put on the board is from the Darius Davis punt return. But the Frogs just come out and, uh, you know, score and score and score. And, and to continue the theme of flipping the script, you know, the, the Frogs were able to run the ball, especially in the second half against Colorado. But my goodness, the Frogs were able to throw the ball in this game. Max Duggan, my goodness. six hundred. I mean, the Frogs put up 630 yards, 390 yards through the air from Max, 23 of 29. He had a personal record of, uh, you know, personal high of five touchdown passes. So you, you have to feel good about what we saw from Max because he's, he's the quarterback for SMU, and he's probably the quarterback – against Oklahoma. So the Frogs have an open week this week, then they go to Dallas, and then they come home the first weekend in the October in October and uh, play the Sooners. How did you feel about watching Max go out there and uh, have one of the best games we've ever seen him play? Yeah, personally, I thought that was his best game we've ever seen, him throwing the football. I mean, he's, like you said, 23 at 29, 390. 390 was a career high as well um, to go along with the five touchdown passes. And I think some people are asking on the game thread why Max was still in there. Something tells me they, that they might have known that he was getting close to breaking his personal best with uh, with another touchdown pass. I think that's why we saw him still throwing in the third quarter when they had a pretty substantial lead. But, um, you know, just personally, I, I felt really good for Max to have that kind of showing. That's That's what he needed. That's what fans needed to see out of him. I mean, he had some really, really precise passes through – some passes with a lot of touch, through some passes with a lot of velocity. He didn't have this robot mechanic where he felt like he had to throw fastballs no matter where he was throwing the football. Um, obviously, we we seen some of the things in camp, and, and we, we talked about it. I talked about it on my camp ports that he, he was looking better with uh, some of his deep balls, putting more touch on his passes, and we obviously saw a little bit more of that. That 17-yard route in the corner to, to uh, Sticks was perfect. I mean, I said it in the thread today. He couldn't have walked down and handed it to Quincy any better. So he he had um, the kind of night that I was hoping he was going to have. As I mentioned, I mean, he, there, was, there was usually when we're talking about Max and a performance, there's a lot of good and almost equally is a, a lot of bad. But this one, the good – I mean, astronomically outweighs the bad in this. I, to be honest, I can't really think of any bad plays that he had. I, I think he threw maybe one bad pass to Blair Conrad that was out of reach in the end zone. But other than that, man, he was he was pretty phenomenal. You know, independent of the opponent, Max, his his ball placement was the best I've ever seen. You know, like you had referenced, we, we, we've had years. I mean, this is the fourth year of Max playing quarterback for the Frogs. We'll have one play where he puts it, you know, right into the fingertips of Tay Barber on a, on a deep route. And then on the next play, he will, you know, throw it into the tuba section or or skip it to the to the tight end six yards in front of him. And it's like a it's like a one hopper to the shortstop. We didn't see any of that. And so, I mean, we're, I mean, this is, you know, naive response, but do we attribute this to the coaching staff, to Max locking in, a little bit of both? What do, you, what do you attribute to the obvious growth just in terms of getting the ball where it needs to be, which is something that's new for Frog fans watching Max Duggan play quarterback? Like someone said on the board today, the quarterback whisperer is starting to whisper. You know, I think the coaching has a lot to do with it. I think him being – a fourth-year, you know, guy in the program has a lot to do with it too. He, this this isn't a young quarterback anymore. Um, he's he's gone through the system uh, in the spring. Obviously, gone through it in the fall. Uh, I think it's a little bit calmer demeanor from the coaching staff. Um, he, 
you, you have to factor in a little bit of the uh, competition he was playing. But as you mentioned, I mean, if, if he's putting the ball uh, in places like that like against any team, the, the Frogs are going to move the football. I mean, he, his ball placement was really, really good. Um, but I think it's just a, a multitude of things, Jeff. He just he just had one of those nights that we've all been waiting to see, and I'm glad I'm glad that he had it. But I, I want to say it's just his experience, and obviously coaching helps tremendously. One of the metaphors I've heard with uh, scheming the game and, and utilizing all the offensive weapons that you have is a uh, plan to win without using your queen. It's a metaphor from, from chess. You know, your queen is your most powerful weapon that you have. It can, it can move anywhere. So there, therefore that you, you don't have to lean on just the one great thing that you have, but you got to be able to utilize all, all of the resources that you have on offense. Max Duggan knows how to run the ball. Yeah. And so what I loved about this offensive performance, it's not just that the frogs were able to put up 59 points and that Max Duggan had a great game passing, but we did not lean on Max's legs, which is where the Frogs have had to lean in the past just to scrape out, you know, tough wins against average to bad teams. Five rushes for three yards. I know they could have lined up and and run the ball with Max Duggan and he could have run for 115 yards. But I really like what I saw out of them um, in the air. And I really appreciate the the intentionality of, of not just leaning into what Max knows how what to do, but to stretch him against a weaker opponent to be able to learn how to do what he's not always been great at. And I felt comfortable with Max in there in the third quarter because when's the last time he's thrown the ball that well and, and had to do it for more than you know one drive or, or, a, or a late comeback. I really appreciate the scheming there. You can credit that to Sonny. You can credit that to Garrett Riley. But Max not having to run the ball 13 times for 97 yards, I think, is one of the best things that happened in this game. And Frog fans didn't even notice because all we do is kept scoring and scoring and scoring. You agree oh, with yeah, that? Yeah, I was, was going to say the exact same thing. Uh, great minds think alike. That's, that's one of the things I took a mental note of is – man, he's throwing the ball really well. And usually you have to rely so much on his running ability and, and they didn't have to, I mean, they ran the ball with them a few times design runs, but this was, this was a Max Duggan that we haven't seen in four years. I mean, he did a, another thing I forgot to mention. I mean, he did a really good job. One thing we've always knocked him on, whether it's media or fans is just not going through his progressions. But there was a few times last night where he was able to stay in the pocket, which I, I probably think someone said, stay in the pocket, Max, don't, don't just take off and run and utilize your feet. You can't go out there and get hurt. So I, I really feel he, he was more comfortable in the pocket, went through his progressions better. And I love the fact that he threw for three ninety and only rushed for three. That means that, what he needed to work on this spring and the summer and the fall, he really did a good job of getting that done. And obviously we, we saw how good it looked last night because we saw a little glimpse of it in Colorado. Yeah. He skipped a pass and everyone saw, oh, that's the old Max Duggan. There he is. And people are going to talk about the level of competition, but I've been, I've been pretty proud for the, the guys on the board, not really knocking the competition. I think they just like you and I, I think they're just really proud of, how he threw and you can't knock the guy when he's throwing dimes, absolute dimes and ropes to Quincy Johnston and Tay Barber and Quincy Brown. And that pass to Blake now, I mean, good gosh. I mean, he couldn't, have, he couldn't have thrown that any better. So that's, that's the kind of passes that we've been wanting to see Max have the last four years. And man, it was great to see it last. And, and that's what I keep saying. I uh, talking about a quarterback controversy i i'm saying that not because i want a quarterback controversy but i want him to play so good where people have a hard time knowing who's going to go out there and start is it going to be max is it going to be chandler and i want the tcu fans to be 100 percent comfortable with either guy well i think we got to learn to be 100 percent comfortable with possibly a third guy what did you think of i, I know i'm the first person to ever make this joke how do you feel about Samuel L. Jackson playing quarterback? <laughs> and have you seen his wallet? I haven't seen his wallet. No. Okay. Okay. I, 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 I'm, I'm curious about his wallet and I'm wondering what's in the briefcase. So all us old guys, all us old guys get that joke. All you kids yeah. don't get that, yeah. you know, <laughs> all in the flying T club. Yeah. That's right. Oh. That's right. I cannot, 
I don't want an explicit rating, so I can't tell you what's on his wallet, but it is uh, it is clear and, and forceful. Uh, it was good to see Sam get in there, four for four, and, you know, he always looks good with his legs. I love watching him, you know, uh, run the read and be able to get into the end zone. But I have a feeling, especially with Chandler being, in a you know, on crutches, which we're going to get to in a second, we're, we got to have Sam Jackson ready to go because, you know, as the old cliche, we're one, we're one play away from Sam Jackson being the starting quarterback against Oklahoma, against Oklahoma State against a resurgent Kansas team. But what did you think of Sam Jackson? I love Sam Jackson. I mean, I think he's extremely athletic. I've been really high on him since he got to campus last year. I've I've always said that he throws probably the prettiest pass of any of the quarterbacks. He's got the smoothest release, and obviously he's, he's the quickest by far. I mean, he just – I think if you lined them up in a straight line, Max would probably win. But as far as just the guy that got – has a little bit of wiggle to him. It's Sam Jackson, 100%. But, I mean, how about that touchdown run he had? It was Boykin-esque, did a whole front flip into the end zone, reminded, reminded me of the whole Kansas State game back in uh, 2014, I think it was, when Boykin flipped. Into the yes, it zone. was. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I really love his athleticism. I think he's a perfect fit for that offense. He's gotten so much more comfortable in the pocket. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how different he looks from spring to now because that kid would not wait two seconds before he would take off and try to make a play with his legs. Now you're starting to see him through, through fall camp, through practice. And you know, I even mentioned it to Garrett Riley, mentioned it to Sam. Did y'all have a big emphasis on making sure he's staying in the pocket? And that was a huge emphasis for them. And you're starting to see that obviously he makes the plays with his feet, but I think he's a kid that could, he, he can, Take the snap, stay in the pocket three or four seconds, and, and fire a rope pretty much anywhere he wants to. Um, and the good thing about it is if he gets pressure, he's so quick, he's going to avoid the rush. I, I, I would be hard-pressed to find anyone that's going to be able to tackle him in space one-on-one uh, at a consistent level. But that's the that's another element you bring with, with Sam Jackson. And I – I just you know, you have to say it. TCU has three really good quarterbacks on their roster, and Josh Hoover's another guy. And I mentioned it a few weeks ago on the board that you know, talked to some people around the program, and they feel that he may have the highest ceiling of them all. He's still a young guy right now, true freshman, and learning the offense. But you know, it's a re- there's a reason why Sonny Cumbie went out and got that guy. That was his that was his pick to to bring in with him for that first class that he brought in. So. Yeah, pretty exciting times are at quarterback for TCU right now. You know, I'm a, I know I'm a total homer, but I loved when Hoover got in because he's probably got like you know his uncle and his grandma from Rockwall that came over because he said this is probably the one game of the year when I'm going to get in, and he got in and he completed a pass for two yep. yards. So I, mean, uh, I love what I, I love do that do that two yard completion, man. I know he'll be he'll always he's, he's in the TCU record book. I will say this, you know, just watching Josh and not to get on a you know get away from Max or Sam, but Josh, I mean, I, I will say I think he might throw the best deep ball out of all the quarterbacks. Just watching him in practice, I mean, it is so accurate, and it's I mean he's he's got that about him. I know that for sure. He's not as fast. And athletic as the other guys, but he does have some of the throws that he makes that you're thinking, man, he's he's going to be a good one. He's going to be a really good one for TCU. You know, I know I'm not a recruiting uh, guru. No one would want me to be the general manager of their team. But I have this this working theory about recruiting, especially for TCU um, um, on, at quarterback. You, you have to go get athletes that play quarterback. You need someone like Max and Sam that know how to run the ball, that, that, that can make, make a play with their legs, especially down at the goal line, stretch the field with their legs. But then every other recruiting cycle, you need to get a high three-star from one of the DFW suburbs that is never going to win a 40 but can put the ball exactly where it's supposed to be because that's just a guy you need in your system and you never know when you're going to have to have him come into the into the game and be able to put the ball right where it needs to be. And, and I, I think Hoover's got, uh, uh, you know, obviously steps slower than the, the three guys in front of him, but I really like what I've seen in him. And, you know, I really like this high school tape. I thought, he, I thought he was an underrated recruit, and I was not surprised when Sonny got him. So hopefully he's got a bright future when the time comes and his opportunity to play. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a that's a great point and and I'll say one thing one other thing about Max that goes along with what Sonny Docks has said since we started talking to him when he got hired and, and talking about the quarterback 
position. You don't have to be the biggest. You don't have to be the strongest. You don't have to be the fastest. You just have to be consistent, be the most consistent. And I think the one thing that you could take away from Max, or not one thing, but another thing, another big important thing you could take away from Max's game against Tarleton, that dude was very consistent. There wasn't a time where he got into a lull where he couldn't complete a pass. I mean, that kid was the model of consistency the entire night. Yes, he was. Well, one of the other things that I really thought was worth uh, noting, the, the Horn Frogs had 15 different receivers make a catch. You know, of, of all of these completions and all the yards through the air that the Frogs put up, they had 15 different targets that were able to log in a catch. Uh, you know, there's guys that I was excited about. I love seeing, you know, Henderson pick up a couple yard, or pick up a couple catches for 56 yards. As you mentioned, Blake now with uh, th- uh, three receptions for 60 yards. Tay Barber, no surprise. But I think this is the beginning of of what is yet to come with Jordan Hudson. Uh, you know, Jordan was a high, high, highly rated four star in twenty four seven. One of the other recruiting services had him at a five star. Five receptions, seventy six yards for a touchdown, a long of thirty one. Uh, is this should we should Horn Frog fans be getting ready for more and more of this from Hudson? Because I was excited with what I saw, and I'm not surprised that he's on the field making an impact. Oh right yeah, now. I mean he, he's a playmaker. And Sonny Docks has been saying that the whole time. I mean, and Garrett Riley said the same thing. We we asked about freshmen playing, and it was kind of like Sonny gave us a look. Like, well, yeah, he's going to play. <laughs> like, yeah, Jordan Hudson's going to play. And it, for those at the game, they were showing a video of some football players in this little pump-up video. But he was one of the players in that video. I mean, you're talking about a true freshman that's played exactly one game in his TCU career prior to yesterday. And he's already on this pump-up video. Um, and not to mention the other players on the video were these, you know, well-known players. And I, I don't remember each one, but highly well-known players um, on the roster that have been making plays for TCU for the last, you know, two, three, four years. So um, that's that's pretty big to, to let you know what they think about Jordan Hudson. But I thought Jordan had a good game. It's funny because he he makes plays like a 20, 21-year-old, like a seasoned veteran. But when you talk to him, you still see this kid. He's just a kid still. He's a young kid. He's just kind of fascinated that he ended up with five catches and, you know, had the yards he had. And I don't think he understands, you know, how impressive that touchdown was, the way he shielded the defender and just made a play on the ball. It's another good pass by Max. But that's the kind of plays that you typically don't see a young guy make. And someone mentioned last week that catch he had at Colorado. I mean, most freshmen don't hang on to that ball. He got popped squarely in the back. And most times that ball is either, either flying up in the air or it's hitting the ground and he held on to it. So Jordan's going to be a big time playmaker. I think Blake now, both of them are going to have to step up a little bit if Savion's not going to be ready to go. I mean, I, I think Savion's going to be ready to go. He has a little shoulder sting. I think he'll with this bye week coming, he'll be ready to go by SMU. But if not, then you got two capable guys and in, in uh, Jordan and Blake. Blake is a guy that I've said a lot that I feel like that kid could go a lot of places and be a starter somewhere. But he stuck it out. He's worked his way up the depth chart. He's one of those guys. When you mention TC receivers, they're always bringing his name up because he gets it done in practice and he's really highly thought of by his teammates and he's another guy that I feel can make make some plays but yeah Jordan Hudson big big time game for the freshman Gunnar Henderson I'm the official president of his fan club um you guys can uh I'll be sending out a Gunnar Henderson newsletter sometime later this week are you running his Heisman campaign that's next year I mean we got a whole plan we got a whole plan there's a model to go I mean so are the talking points that he's he's the first guy to the gym and the last guy to leave? Absolutely. Yeah. What what would you say he's like when he's on the field? He's like a coach's kid. I mean He's yeah. like a coach's kid, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, how how good how good of a recruiting tool is that to say that you had a game that you're throwing to fifteen different receivers? That is a great recruiting yeah. tool. You do not have to I mean you, you can you can you know th- th- this is not hyperbole. Hey, you're gonna you're gonna catch the ball. You're right out of the gate, and we're gonna distribute the ball. And I think that this is this is something you know not just for recruiting. That hey, you can get on the field and we throw the ball and we will throw the ball to everybody. But I love that 
we are not locked in on, hey, we need uh, QJ to be able to catch two deep touchdown passes and hopefully Tay Barber can sneak a couple across the middle for a first down when needed. We're not leaning on one, one and a half weapons. Um, and, and I know it's late when you get Tarleton and you get a few other guys in there, but I think that says more about the whole offensive philosophy than it does simply, you know, hey, come and play and you'll get on the field early. I really like what that says. It obviously says something great for recruiting, but I think it also says something about the trust that um, Garrett Riley and Sonny Dykes and, and Max Duggan have in all of the receivers. So we've all said this receiver room is loaded. If we could just figure out how to use everybody, it looks like the loaded receiver room is being used the way that it's supposed to. And I feel good about that as frog. Do you have the numbers pulled up in front of you? I do. I got the stat sheet right here. What did Spivey and Wally end up having? All right, Spivey, one catch for 23 yards, and then Wiley, one catch for six yards. But didn't he have one that was called back? Uh, I can't remember. And then Chase I, thought, Chase I thought Curtis Wiley had, basically a tight end. Yeah, Chase Curtis, one, one reception for 37 yards. Uh, Darius Davis, two for 23. Um, but there were one, two, three, four, five, six. Six guys with one reception. Seven guys with one reception. Well, and, 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 and Quentin Johnson only had two receptions. Yeah, and he did something that I never see him do: drop a pass. I mean, the, the DB. I know. I had not seen Johnson drop the, a pass. The DB ever. made a good play. He went. He stripped at it, but usually, you know, Q always holds on to that ball. He's a lot stronger than a lot of guys. Um, but that was another. That you know that that was a pass that should have gone into the completion stat for Max. I mean. Look at that. He's 24 or 29 instead of 23 or 29. But um, no, I just, the tight ends, it, it, you know, I've told a lot of people, it's been a long time since we've seen them have tight ends that can line up that are 6'6, six, 6'7, six, 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 and are athletic like they are. And then you got guys like uh, Denunzio and Carter Ware that are just put your hand in the ground type of guys that can get really good blocks. I mean, uh, there was a play last week. The Nungio had a really good block on Sam Jackson's t- touchdown run. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, they've got a really impressive tight end group right now. I think they're going to get the ball more to these guys once the season progresses. But I like what I'm seeing so far is it, it, them getting the tight end involved. I think my favorite part of the the passing game that hits everybody is listening to the C team announcers try to pronounce Jaquarius Spivey. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I only know, know it. I only know it because I met I met the young man in 2017 covering one of the camps with you, and so I'm like Jaquarius Spivey. I got it. I learned it, and you, I think it's good to learn how to pronounce someone's name. But these announcers uh, they they did not follow the the Mark Cohen. Uh, media guide in learning how to pronounce his name, and it, it, it caused me a chuckle every time they said it. You should have been there the day uh, TCU was playing at Texas Tech, and the guy couldn't pronounce Shawo's name to save his life. Shawa Aluayana. Yeah, he was like, it was so crazy. Uh, what about Halabala BT Vitae? Big V. Big V. That's why. Yeah, that, 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 that's a game. got a Super Bowl ring. So, uh, all right. Well, let's let's flip over to the other side of the ball. Uh, you know, I think one of the one of the things that I have observed in Frog fans on Twitter on our message board at Horn Frog Blitz is that Frog fans are learning how to appreciate and understand how this new defense works. This is really bad football cliche, so feel free to block me on Twitter. But it, the three three five really is bend and don't break. It's give you a few things up front, but never get beat over the top. It's we're going to give up some yards, but then we're going to shut down when we get inside the 30 and we're going to force you to kick a field goal or, you know, force you to try to have to make a decision about punting from the 37. Gillespie's defense, I feel really good about what I saw, but but translate some of this a little bit to Frog fans that are used to the 4-2-5 and, and, and the differences just in terms of watching the game and enjoying the game that the 3-3-5 brings because I think that was on full display on Saturday night. Well, I mean, I said this before, don't judge the defensive line by the number of sacks they get because if you get into doing that, you're going to be really disappointed. Um, and I know it's hard to shake. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of PTSD around the program, not only from people that work around there still or fans or media from the previous 
podcast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just, there's just, you got to look at things differently. So whereas we used to look at a defensive end and man, he's, he's got three sacks. He's awesome. Blah, blah, blah. You're looking at more of a run defense. You're looking at the linebackers making plays. Linebackers like D winners and Jamoy Hodge, they're not going to be tasked so much into coverage um, like they used to be. D's going to be, D and Jamoy are both going to be big run support guys. But I would, I would just t- tell you the first two weeks run defense have been really, really good. Um, you didn't have a lot. You didn't have, and what's funny when we're talking about, the guys to talk to in the media after the game, like especially defensive guys, you used to see one guy have like 10 tackles, nine tackles, and then all the other guys are four or five. With this defense, it's like everyone has a pretty even amount of tackles. And so it's it's everyone has an opportunity to make plays instead of just a couple of guys in particular, if that makes sense. So – to me, I, I'm right there with you. This defense is kind of a bend, don't break. They did give up a couple passes over the top um, that were really good plays by the receivers and even better throws by Bo Allen, the quarterback. But it it is a defense that has given up exactly three touchdowns in two games. And, you know, one of those touchdowns came with a minute and a half to go. And so you're looking at, okay, this is this defense has played really, really good. They've given up three touchdowns and, and three field goals. I like what I see so far. I like the way people are getting to the football. They're, they're gang tackling. And I asked Josh Newton this last night. I said, man, it looks like you guys are having fun as a defense. He said, we are. We like making plays. And that's what this defense allows those guys to do is just go out there and make plays. D. Winters has said it over and over and over how much more he likes this defense than what they were playing before. Well, I feel good about what I saw on defense. I feel like the guys enjoy playing inside of this defense. There's not, there was just this chronic anxiety half a second before every snap on defense in the last few years. Because they weren't getting the signals till late. And that's one of the things we asked D winners after the Colorado games, like, Hey, you guys were getting the signals on time. He's like, yeah, and he mentioned Josh Creech, was, which is one of the defensive GAs, um, and it really helps Gillespie with personnel and everything during the game, what kind of personnel they're bringing out from the opponent. And that helps Gillespie get the signals in a lot faster. So there's when you, when you let people – let me put this the best way I can. When you're able to delegate some things and not feel like you have to take on things yourself – you could probably be a little bit more successful. You know, I think that's very well said for football, for work, and for life. How's that sound? Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's get to what I really care about after a 59 to 17 win. Let's talk about the injury list. I'm going to rattle these off. You give me, uh, I'm going to start with the most obvious. I need you to give me a, a quick answer because I got, I got seven names, six or seven names here. Quincy Brown. Well, bad. I haven't seen the play yet. It's bad. My wife even told me it looked bad. She thought it was broke. Um, yeah, but you know we've got the, an we've got the number one source for for Quincy on the board, and he said he's he's going to be good. So okay. Well, well I mean, I think obviously it's going to be highly, highly questionable if he's going to be able to go against SMU or Oklahoma being that it's only two weeks away, two and three weeks away, um, which is pretty remarkable considering everyone thought his foot was about to fall off. Um, yeah. Again, I haven't seen the injury, but everyone just tells me how bad it looked. So uh, don't don't know for sure about Quincy. You know, Sonny didn't have a lot of information for us last night after the game either. They were going to do some things, think of MRI and X-ray and everything done. Um, hopefully today and tomorrow and see what's going on there. Well, I don't know if uh, everybody's going to get an extra COVID year that's already played, but I'd be curious if Jaden Overcombe can come back and kick if Griffin Kell is not able to kick. 
<laughs> or, you know, Michael Reeder, uh, Ross Evans. I'll, I'm open to all options. Yeah, <laughs> yes, right, Nick Brown. You know, I kicked a PAT in, extra, uh, a PAT in practice in high school, and I made it. There you so go. If you need me. If you need me to yeah, come Griffin out. was kind you know, of surprising. Like they missed the first. No one knew no, about I that. Mean, he was no he one. was suited up. He was going through pregame warmups and everything, and he missed the uh, he missed the. Uh, well, I thought he missed the extra point. Um, the stat sheet thought he missed the extra point because the the stats that we follow had it Griffin Kell missed the extra point, and then someone else said it was Laminac. And Laminac Laminac is he's got a really strong leg. I mean, he's the kickoff guy. If anyone hasn't noticed it, um, but he struggled those those first two. He had an extra point that he missed, and then he missed the chip shot of a field goal. So, he, yes, he did. I've seen the kid kick in practice. He's got a good leg, and um, he could hit from a distance. So I know the first couple of kicks, he was probably nervous as all get out. Um, but mm-hmm. I think Griffin just had something going on right before the game, and. He was suited up. I mean, he he was in full full pads. Looked like he could go out there at any moment, but he never did. And uh, I think it's one of those things where they just decided to rest Griffin. It's Tarleton. It's not there. Was, they knew there wasn't going to be a, a kick where the game was going to be on the line. You you let you let the young kid kick. Um, you get two weeks before you have to play the next game and not risk further injuring your starting kicker anymore. So I didn't have a big deal with it, man. Yeah, he missed a he missed a couple of kicks, but I mean, did someone lose money because TCU didn't score sixty? I don't know. I didn't. So Man, if you if you're betting on TCU getting sixty in this game, please go to a support group. <laughs> you are a, you are beyond a degenerate betting on FCS games. Well I'll tell you oh. what, if he would have hit at least the field goal, I would have nailed my prediction of sixty two points like I did last week of thirty eight points against Colorado. So he messed me up in my bold prediction. Well, then you should take it out on him at practice. Savion Williams. I think he'll be fine. I think it was just a, you know, from what they've said, a little shoulder sting. Um, okay. Got to, like like I said, the bye week's coming at a good time. Okay. Bud Clark? Bud Clark's an interesting one. I keep asking about him, and, you know, we asked about him earlier this week, and Sonny told me that they were hoping that he was going to be back to practice, and he never was. Um, when I went out there Tuesday and Wednesday, he wasn't practicing. And with our new rules, we're not able to report that. We can't report any guys that aren't practicing. So um, couldn't really mention that. But Well, with Bud, I'm not asking if he's not practicing, but I'm asking, is he practicing? Those, <laughs> yeah, are, two different, yeah. those are two different gotcha. things. <laughs> um, but anyhow, they, you know, by Saturday, I mean, well, I saw him really early. You know, he was obviously in street clothes, had his jersey on, but – I don't. I don't know. I've I've asked and really can't get a a straightforward answer on it. So when he's practicing, I'll be sure to let you guys know. I mean, there's not going to be any um, media availabilities this upcoming week with a bye week um, to go out and watch practice. Okay. Um, but I think we are meeting with Sonny on Tuesday, and I'll ask him about Bud Clark to see if there's an updated status where he's at. Okay, and then finally Chandler Morris. Man, I'll be honest. You know, when that first happened that Sunday after, I was told it's going to be two or three weeks. And it could be – I'm not a doctor. I, I don't know. I don't know what what the MRI says or anything like that. But I'll just look at – he's walking around on crutches and he's got a brace on his leg that goes from his ankle all the way up to his dang hip. So, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, but he's been he's had that ever since they got back from Colorado. So I that's just me. I mean, technology, medical technology is a lot better than it was 50 years ago or even 10 years ago. So, I mean, God. I can, you know, if they're saying that there's a possibility he could come back within a few weeks, then then I believe it, but just me being a Debbie Downer and just seeing him walk around and not being able to hardly put any weight on that leg. Like I'm really questioning if he's going to be back by Oklahoma. Um, like some of the people I spoke, have spoken with had hoped for. I know some people have said that he could be back SMU, could be back Oklahoma. 
Um, but I just don't, I don't know right now. I'll have to recheck on that because this is just my amateur opinion. Just seeing him walk around with that big old brace on, I just, I don't know. I, I have high doubts that Chandler Morris is going to see the field as a starting quarterback because he's earned it back in the next month and a half. I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. We will see though. We will see. Well, you know, the frogs come in um, open in the season two and Oh, it's the first time the frogs have opened two and Oh since 2019. And uh, you know, I, I just, I just have to say after two games, I like what I see. I know we obviously haven't had to play, you know, it's not like we're running the gauntlet of Baylor followed by OU followed by Oklahoma state, but the frogs are two and Oh, there's a sense of confidence and uh, around the program. And we know that they have a plan that they're trying to execute and doing everything they can to rally and align all the resources in the program, the coaching staff and the players in order to make that happen. So we're going into this open week to our bye week Uh, just, you know, what's, what's your uh, one or two paragraph assessment about where the frogs are at after after the first two games of the Sunny Dyke era, going into a bye week and getting ready for what we know is going to be a barn burner of an event against SMU. Yeah, I can't wait for that, man. I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, I would say right now they're they're still kind of looking for an identity on offense. I mean, Colorado, you had 120 passing yards with 275 rushing yards. So you you were really successful running the football in the second half against Colorado, or was it two seventy five or three sixty four? I can't remember. Um, it was three hundred. So they were really successful running the football against Colorado. I was a little surprised they weren't as successful running the football. I think they rushed for one eighty against Tarleton, but a lot of those yards started coming late in the game. Um, so. I'm kind of I'm kind of questioning where the offense's identity is right now. I know they can run it when they need to, and I know they can pass it when they need to. Um, but I want to see I want to see more consistency. I want to see more of a a game where they may throw for two two fifty and run for two fifty. You know, um, kind of like last year's SMU game against TCU. They excuse me, they threw for two something and rushed for three fifty. Now, that's the kind of game mm-hmm. I want to see them have success. I want to see them have success both throwing and running the football in the same game. But right now we haven't seen that. Defensively, I think they're ahead of where I thought they would be. Yes, that's where I'm with you. They are ahead of where I thought they yeah, would be. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say this. They, they, it, it sounds so elementary, Jeff, but it just really does look like they're having fun out there. And when a team has fun and they know what they're doing, they're not getting late signals, they're going to be successful. Uh, and, and what we've seen the first two weeks, they're, they're successful. Yeah, they've given up a few plays here and there. And, and, and I'll just tell you, man, people got to get it out of their, their head that, oh, man, our corners are giving up big plays to these lower-level receivers. They're at a lower-level lower school, okay? But that doesn't necessarily mean they're – lower lower level kids i mean jaden smith as i mentioned earlier he's a 6'6 receiver there is a lot of schools that would take that kid right now right now that would take him as a receiver p5 you know you can be if you can be fcs and still run a great out yeah. route. i mean yeah and if you're, if you're playing at tarleton you're better than 99.9 percent of the people that are watching the game their, <laughs> their quarterback was a four-star out of high school it's not like he was you know, he had Kentucky and a bunch of other really good offense out of high school, yeah. and he just somehow or another he ended up at Tarleton. I'd, I'd like to know the backstory there, how he ended up at Tarleton. But uh, well, he was playing in the SEC, Paul. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I think for the most part the defense has played well. You don't have a guy like Bud Clark back there playing. You don't have, I mean, Deshaun McEwen. He's been kind of off and on. Um, he's a guy that they had high hopes for this year, and you got a linebacker core that is really down to six scholarship players right now. Um, but they're playing really well. And the defensive line, I mean, I, I think everyone could agree with me. I think the defensive line, minus the sack total, the defensive line is a lot further along than what I even felt they, they would be. And it's a group that has nine to ten solid kids right now that can rotate in and out. 
And that's just going to be tremendous for them as the season progresses because there's going to be games where they're going to need that that break on the sideline. They're going to need to have fresh legs to get in there and and stop a good running game. So I, I like the way the defense is playing right now. Still, even though they gave up a couple big plays, I still love the cornerback play. I still love the fact that they got four guys between uh, Trey and Josh and Noah and Keon that can – really play some football. I, I really like the, the cornerback depth right now, but I know that's way more than two paragraphs, but. No, uh, it's all right. Now, don't you think the sack total is one of those stats that's going to the side, like time of possession that we were raised to believe it was really I important. Mean, if you got but, a guy that's going to get to the quarterback, like, you know, Hutchinson, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. I mean, he's a stud defensive end. I mean, let's, and, and, the days yes. of Jerry Hughes, where we used to love watching him get four sacks a game, you know that, that's that's pretty impressive stuff. I don't think that's ever going to go away, but I, I think with this defense, unless you have a guy, I, I'd like, you know, you have a Kansas State that runs a three three five, and Iowa State, I'd like to see a, a Wyatt Hubert, you know, Kansas State's defensive end they had a couple years ago that was really successful at getting to the quarterback, or a Will McDonald at Iowa State that. I believe had nine sacks one year, nine and a half, ten sacks. I think he led the Big Twelve ahead of Oshan one year. But uh, I, I, I just really think that you got to evaluate the way the run defense is performed. I don't have what's the number that Tarleton ended up having running the football. Running the football, man. I knew you were going to ask me that. I only asked you. I thought you might have had the stats. I did, and then my phone. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Tarleton, the, the they ran for they ran eight, they ran for eighty five yards. Eighty five yards and what twenty carries probably. Yeah, and um, yeah, and but you know then they had two hundred ten yards in the air, eighty five yards running the ball. But heck, man, the frogs put up four hundred fifty yards in the air. I mean, three hundred. They, they're 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 clocking in at two hundred ninety five yards total offense for for Tarleton. That. Go ahead, sorry. I, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining about that. I was going to say, and I don't know. We'll probably talk about this later. But when you got teams that are beating these powerhouses, I don't. I don't care who you're playing. You put up those kind of numbers, you're doing something right. Yeah. Well, let's transition to that because that's what I wanted to close with. This is the this is the uh, part of the show where we engage in the German word of Schadenfreude, which is delighting in the suffering of others. Um, I've, I've got a couple of ways to frame this. Let's start, let's just start with the first one. And I don't. I'm not on the. I'm not in the business of of calling out young men. But how does O'Shawn Mathis feel right now, starting one and two with a fired head coach in Scott Frost? Did you see that they fired Scott oh, Frost yeah, this yeah. afternoon? This isn't uh, a knock on O'Shawn. I don't. Think no, it's not. It's he not. Didn't, he didn't go to Nebraska to play for Scott Frost. Let's be real. He yeah. he, he he didn't choose Nebraska. Because he felt like he was going to get the the best out of his playing ability, you know. This is there, where the, this there is where were the other, NIL. Other well, this is where the you know just let's just say this is where the NIL comes into comes into play. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's yeah. You know, you you read enough where there's smoke, there's there's fire, and you know, you talk to enough people around TCU, around Austin, and you know Nebraska, you come up to the conclusion pretty quickly. Hmm. Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not knocking him. I hope. I hope he makes it. I hope. I hope he got paid, and I hope he gets does does wise things with that. So, but you and I have both been in spots in life. Now, granted, you know we're in different spots in life uh, where you've been offered a job and maybe could have made more money, but it wasn't worth it because of quality of life or because of you know the resources uh, and the support of the of the place that you were at. So. I, I hope he, I hope he made the most of, of his NIL deal um, because man, Nebraska is a dumpster fire on top of a dumpster fire. Let me read you these four schools that lost, and you tell me what they all have in common. Nebraska lost to Georgia Southern. Colorado lost to Air Force. Texas A and M lost to App State. In Missouri, lost to the Fighting uh, K State Wildcats. What do all four of those teams have in common? Um. I was going to say something about Sean Robinson, but I know it's not Sean Robinson. <laughs> they all used to be in the big Oh, that's right. 
That's right. And if you want to throw in Texas, the, who is leaving, and t- oh, that would make OU the only team that won of the six teams that have left over the last 10, 12 years here. But gosh, man, that was there were so many big upsets here. I'm just going to read you these seven games that I wanted to highlight. I'm going to let you jump in on yours, and I'll jump on what you want us to talk about, and I'll jump in on the others. But um, obviously, Texas loses to Bama 20-19. Notre Dame loses to Marshall 26-21. <laughs> App State beats A&M in College Station, does two things. They get paid $1.2 million, and they steal college game day from them. (laughs) Uh, Houston loses to uh, Tech out in Lubbock, 33-30 in double overtime. Here's the game that should scare all of you fans. I know what you're going to say. Kansas State, 40, Missouri, 12. Is that what you well, thought I was going to say? I thought you were going to say okay. Kansas 55, West Virginia. Yes, Kansas 55. West, Vir- uh, West Virginia lost by double digits in an overtime game. But, yeah, Kansas goes up there in Morgantown where the Frogs haven't won since 2014. Let's just keep that in mind. Uh, and and they lost, and Kansas beat West Virginia. No, Kansas State uh, pounds Missouri. Iowa State finally gets the win. You know my boy, Matt Campbell. Yep. You know I was excited for him. BYU uh, beats Baylor 26-20 in overtime in a battle of uh, one Big 12 school with a future Big 12 school. Man, that's going to be a tough thing. That's a lot, man. I, I, tell, me what, tell me what you want to talk about because I could talk about all these all day because this was the best – this was a great – everybody talked about how week two we didn't have any big matchups, and I'm like, those are always the best weekend. Well, first of all, I know you're a very religious guy. You don't mess with the football gods. So, no, you A&M don't. fans were laughing at Texas fans for having a heartbreaker of a loss. You see the football gods had something to say about that. That's, that's it's why, the 11th commandment. Moses came down the mountain. That's why you it. never taunt a, a rival when you still got a game to play. You just don't do it. Um, no, bad no joke. Yes, exactly. But I mean, we could. I, I honestly thought, I thought Texas, I thought Texas played a lot better than I thought. You know, Alabama still has Bryce Young, but they don't have. Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith, those two speed demons on the outside. Alabama's not as fast as they were. Joe Klatt said it about 100 times. They just don't have the, the top-end speed, the guys that can take the top And they don't have the offensive line. Yeah. They do not have the offensive they, line. They, you know, Alabama, I, I, I'm really not sure if they're a top-two team right now. Um, I will say, again, I, I give credit where credit's due. Texas really looked good on defense, and I think – there was a blueprint of GPSD. I mean, anyone that watched that game, oh, if, all over. If you're that saying game. that that didn't look like Gary Patterson's defense, you're only lying to yourself because there's about you could pull a hundred people, and I guarantee you, ninety nine of them would say there was a big GP influence on that defense. Anyone that's watched TCU football, you know that 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 was a blueprint of his defense. Um, but I thought Quinn Ewers looked pretty good. I thought. No, is the stage going to be too? Because I mean, on, truly and honestly, that was really. I mean, he played it. He went to Ohio State last year when he should have been a senior in high school, and this year he's you know basically he's a true freshman age wise, and playing. I thought maybe this game might too might be too big for him, and man, he he went out there and made some really really good throws. It sucks that. He got hurt and is going to miss the next, you know, several weeks, four to six weeks is whatever they're saying down there. Um, and then Hudson Card gets hurt. But, I mean, the Baylor-BYU game drove me nuts. I was so mad that the BYU kicker missed a chip shot. I turned it off because I wanted to see Baylor lose. And I thought, oh, Baylor's going to come back and win now. And so I was pleasantly surprised to wake up this morning and see BYU had won that game. And that's going to be a really, really, really hard place to play. I mean, that crowd – that environment up there at BYU is incredible. Yes, yes, it is. And I, you know, they've got Oregon and Notre Dame left on their schedule, but they might have played their best team that they're going to play the rest of the year. They got, they do have USC. No, do they? No, they have Stanford. That's what it, they don't have USC this year. We need, we need to talk about what happens if Baylor runs the table. If Baylor runs the table? No, excuse me, BYU. Oh. To, excuse me, I got it back. If BYU runs the table. I mean, if they're if, – if I have to look at their schedule. I want to see the teams that they have. 
Um, because obviously Notre Dame's not as good as everyone thought. Um, no. Stanford's okay. I'd like it if they played yeah, USC better. But yeah, they've got they've got Oregon. I'm of teams of note. They've got Oregon, they've got Notre Dame, they've got Arkansas, they have Boise, and they have Stanford, and then they have some hot garbage sprinkled. Well, in let there. me tell you right now, Arkansas is gonna be a pretty good game. Arkansas yes. what Sam Pittman has done in the short amount of time he's been there is pretty remarkable. Um, they've got Arkansas coming to Pro I, I can't wait to see that. In, in mid-October, that's going to be a barn. That, yeah, I can't wait to see that game. You talk about a clash of cultures, the Arkansas folk and the and the Mormon folk out there. That's going to be an interesting um, culture clash. Uh, <laughs> I, the A&M game, I was watching this from the press box. Oh, uh, it was glorious. I and, and Brian Estridge, you know, he's an App State guy. I forgot to yeah. text him and – tell him congratulations but i think he was jumping around above us but i'm just telling you a&m is in a very very bad way at quarterback right now i i was hoping back in the day that tcu would get it get the haynes king kid haynes is one of the best kids you'll ever talk to he is salt of the earth texan i mean he's he is a coach's yes, kid, coach's and he kid. is like another coach exactly. on the field. He is. And he talks just yes. like a coach too. He used to inter- we used to interview him, and he'd give you coaching answers. Um, you know, I'm just trying to take it one day yeah. at a time and stay within myself, and we're be responsible for what we're responsible with, and let the rest fall. Let the rest fall where it will. Right? He just, he told me he he told when I interviewed him one time, it was like literally talking to a coach, and he dropped the word conversate with me a couple times, and. You know, it was it was really he's he's a really really good kid, really athletic out of high school. I mean, this is a kid that ran legit four or five ones, laser forty times. I mean, he's a fast kid. Obviously, led Longview to their first state championship in school history. Can if you can believe that? But man, he just he is taking a hammering down from their fans today. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think people knew this was coming too that there wasn't really a lot of consistency at quarterback. And I think all their fan base is basically calling for Connor Wiegman to get out there and start now, um, even though he's not ready. But I I don't think it's personnel. I think it's Jimbo. I, I, mean, I think, I think that's that, Yeah, I agree. That's a big part of it too. Yeah, I think that offense is outdated. I think it used to. I think it was uh, at its peak, obviously in 2013, when you had the number one draft pick running that offense. But on the off chance that you don't have a Heisman Trophy winner running that offense, it is it is bad. So my my comparison would be: is is this Jimbo offense like the Gary Patterson defense? Yeah, has it seen its days? And I the the returns are coming back. Yes, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's a there's only one offense that I could think of through the first few weeks of the season that's more boring to watch than their offense. Can you can you guess who that is? Colorado. That's very, very bad. But there might be a there might be an offense even worse than theirs. Oh, that would be the Iowa. That's exactly right. Um I mean we were talking about that yesterday. There is like I <laughs> How you things go, son? I'm sorry, I gotta let you go. I know. <laughs> I have to go son, in there and take his kids' allowance away. That's right, son. I got you a job. You are the new head coach at Iowa West. Yeah, <laughs> NIA. NIA. Guess what? I got you another job. No, I mean that's right. You're you're right, man. I I think with that level of talent they have down there at A and M, for them to to lose a game now. Appalachian State's not horrible. I mean, they're they're they've, no, they've, but, but they're not Boise no, 2010, no. and they've done it before. I mean, they upset Michigan back in what oh was it oh five or oh six oh seven? That's right. 07. So, I mean, they've played on the big stage before, and they're they're a team. I think that was basically in the top twenty five last year or the year before that year. Coastal Carolina was making all that noise. I think App State was right mm-hmm. there with them. Um, but 
and that's where uh, I think that's where Missouri's head coach came from, if I'm not mistaken. So they, yes, yeah, Eli Drinkwich came from. Uh, yeah, so State. I mean, they when he was there, they were they were really good as well. So, um, yeah, I, I just I just think it's I think it's funny that you get those you get those games where you think it's an automatic win, and the next thing you know, it's it's a program changer. And just like Nebraska, I mean, who would have thought Nebraska? They're they're paying Georgia Southern all this money to come up to Lincoln, and oh by the way, we're going to let you score forty five points, and the next day we're going to fire our coach. You know, it's just crazy how that worked. Well, you know, I don't want to kick somebody by while they're down, but they are the Aggies. They scored one offensive touchdown because we had one 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 of their touch their second touchdown was on a kick return. And their one their their one offensive touchdown was on a sixty six yard touchdown run. Yeah, and so I mean they had less than two hundred yards total offense, and sixty six of those yards was on one play with a freak athlete at running back. You have to be able to score because you know App's a good program. I'm not taking an inch away from them, but it's not like this was a crazy shootout where you know the Aggies had three. Um, bad turnovers and and app made the most of it app just beat them they just straight up beat them because they could aggies couldn't move the ball against them so they they've got to do they got to if if jimbo doesn't change i don't care how many five-star defensive linemen they get because when you put one off you put one touchdown on the board you can't pitch a shutout every week because you can't do it against the sun belt yeah yeah well, all right. My last one, I, I, I referenced this earlier, but everybody better buckle up in the Big 12 because this looks like an old Bill Snyder team. But Kansas State, 40, Missouri, 12. Uh, in that last touchdown that Missouri scored was just junk a junk TDD in the last minute and a half of the game. So I think Kansas State is, is honestly, if, I'll be surprised if they don't get to the Big 12 title game. I think they've got everything rolling. So how good do, uh, did Adrian and uh, Martinez look? I thought he looked really solid, but he looks solid inside of a program that knows exactly what they're trying to do and go out there and goes out there and does it every single time. So I, I like Adrian Martinez. I thought he had a pretty good game, but uh, K State is just they're they look like the first version of of K State when he's got four walk ons. Uh, Deuce Vaughn is is ridiculous. You know, Deuce Vaughn's going to get what's his. So I feel like Kansas State is. I, I, I'm going to be really surprised if they're not in, in in Arlington playing for the Big 12 title against somebody. And I don't think it'll be Oklahoma. You don't think it would be Oklahoma? Okay. I do not think it will be Oklahoma, no. Are you, are I do you're not. predicting that TCU? Uh... No, right now my prediction would be Kansas State, Oklahoma State. Yeah, Oklahoma State did work. Yeah, I, that's my prediction right now is Oklahoma State and Kansas State in the Big 12 title how much, game. So, how much does Sean Robinson play? You know, I do not know. I do not know. So, I'll say this. But I hear he's going to transfer. <laughs> Please. <laughs> are, you gonna, are you not going to talk about the, the great win by Texas Tech over Houston? Yes, we can. Yes, so they they do get the win in double overtime. You know, you, you know the BYU Baylor as well as uh, Texas Tech Houston. Those next year, those are both conference games, and they they both went to overtime. You know, this conference is going to be so much dang fun to watch. Somebody's going to say, "Oh, we don't have a national a top three team." This t- this conference is going to do what TV executives want, which is produce entertaining games, yeah. and that was an entertaining game. And hey, I. I'm going to be the one to tell you, I did not think the Joey McGuire experience was going to work. And I thought that they would, if it, even if it did, it would take a couple of years to kind of wash all of that out of the program from Matt Wells and even a few of the clingers on from Cliff. But they look good. They beat Dana. I thought Dana was going to have the best G5 team in the country. I thought they'd win the American. They still might. But Texas Tech looks solid, and you can't really argue with what McGuire's putting on the field in just uh, his his first, uh, not even a full year. Yeah, the I mean that was a good win for them. I thought, I thought Houston was going to go up there and roll them, and I was, I was, I, was I did too wrong. And even when they went the when the game went to overtime, I thought Houston was going to win it. So um, good for uh, Joey and his guys. You know, I think 
two wins is already halfway to what a lot of people think they're going to get this year. So maybe, maybe they surprise some people, but I, you know, other, other than Texas tech, Kansas beating West Virginia, the way they did, I think I'm going to watch the Kansas, Kansas state game more this year than I ever have. Oh yeah. The sunflower sunflower is a big deal. Yeah. But Kansas, I mean, I, I could have never, I could have never imagined they'd go up there and score 55 in Morgantown. And they might have their coach. They might have them. Oh, I think Lance Leipold is in a major. Too bad coach. if he's successful that Nebraska is going to come steal him away. I know. Oh, that I've already I've already heard that Nebraska is just going to go get um, Matt Campbell, and he's going to be he's going to walk over um, the western edge of the state, make his way across the border in Nebraska, and restore him to their previous glory. He might. <laughs> All right, here's one for you. We're going to close okay. with this. Nebraska head coach Gary Patterson. Well, <laughs> you know, that might be a job I want to take. They they could do a lot dumber things, and they probably will, but he would I think I think Coach P would take that job. Didn't they flirt with him years ago? I I can't remember. But I know Tennessee and Auburn did, but I, I thought Nebraska in Arkansas. You know, the, I thought Nebraska. The funny had. thing about this with 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 Coach P is how do you say their defensive coordinator's last name? Kitowski. How do you say Texas's defensive coordinator's name? Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm, yeah, let's, let's go, go with PK. that. Kitowski. We'll say PK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the defensive coordinator, but watching that game, you would have thought Gary Patterson was the defensive coordinator. Yeah, Chad Glasgow was the defensive coordinator, and well, we don't know who ran the defense. Because those, those announcers were giving Gary props, and I don't even think I remember them saying the defensive coordinator's name one time. And no. so here, here's, here's why I think that things could happen for Patterson is if Texas continues to play defense the way they're playing – and people keep talking about Gary being the guy that really helped revitalize that defense. This is why I think Nebraska would be an option for him because let's face it, Nebraska in their glory years was known for the black shirts. They were defensive school, Tom Osborne. Yeah. He had the option. Tommy Frazier was great. Eric couch, but they kind of just made a name for themselves with that defense. And, you want to bring a guy that knows defense. That's a Midwest guy. That's tough, mm-hmm. as, tough as nails. That's that's Gary. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see what comes of that first coaching, first coach opening of the season, first coaching opening of the season. More dominoes will fall by next week. Once, once, yes, once, pro- once one program does it, everyone thinks it's okay to do it. That's right. We didn't even make it to week two without a fire or week three. Yeah, week two, really, because they played in week zero. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, hey, everybody, we appreciate you listening to this episode of the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com, sign up and subscribe to the, the strongest, um, biggest, baddest message board on uh, for TCU fans. Jeremy Clark has everything you need to know about what's going on with practice reports inside the program, as well as what's going on on and off the field. Also, if you haven't yet, give us a rating and a review and subscribe to the Frogcast. You can find us on your podcasting app of choice. Share with your friends that you, you, know, you appreciate the work that goes into making this podcast happen. And if you like what you hear, let somebody know about it so we can expand this growing number of Frog fans. So for Jeremy Clark, I am Jeff Mitchell. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast.